in the east, three one in the west. Uh, it has been such a year, 2020, that you just cannot rest. The four stars, Jimmy, Goran, Jokic and Murray, all together as always on The Ball is Bay, your favorite NBA podcast in an Indian accent. You're back at it again with episode 24 of this 2019-2020 uh, season, which is reaching its finale in a couple of weeks. This week, the talk was all about close games, zone defense and crooked refs. Uh, speaking of shady business, I've got with me as always, owner of multiple legitimate businesses, visitor of hundreds of steak specialty restaurants and purveyor of thousands of panoramas daily, co-host Vinit Devaya. Vinit, it's a late pod even for our standards and that can only mean one thing. There's a special guest somewhere, isn't there? Yes, that, that's what it means. It's, it's a very late pod and it's a double pod. So I think uh, I'll, let you, I'll leave, let you introduce our, our really, really famous guest, uh, someone I have read before in passing, and uh, now I know who the guy was because he shitted on Kareem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our guest for today is an author, a resident of the New York Times bestseller list, and his latest book, Three Ring Circus, uh, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty, is out now on Amazon.com and many other places where they sell books. He's the only non-NBA player on our podcast who has a Wikipedia page to show for his efforts. And we are very lucky, you know, he could make some time for us. So let's say a big hello to Tom Cruise. I mean, Jeff Perlman. Jeff, welcome to the pod. I just want to. Uh, I just want to say. Thank you so much for I just want to say, if if fame is de- is defined by having a Wikipedia page and a blue check on Twitter, I know I've made it. Otherwise, <laughs> nobody knows who I am. Those two things I do have, and that's that's big time. That's that's that. <laughs> Man, we would love to have a blue check on Twitter, though. Either, either, either one of those. I will sell you. Even though we can probably make a video. Here's what we can do. I will sell you my Twitter feed. We'll just change my name, put your name on it. If you guys come up with 500000 bucks, the blue yeah. check is yours. It's a good deal. It's a good deal. Oh, you, you added the 500. I was like, I was like, oh my God, he's really going to do it. It's like 500000 Such a sweet guy. Such a sweet guy. I mean, why did we get him on our pod before? I'm here for you. Vidit, what, what, you, you have to tell us about this uh, Kareem dissing article that you read about him that you didn't know it was uh, Jeff. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, I, I, I've been following Jeff for a while on Twitter and just kind of seen his retweets. And I just, I just never, I never paid attention because, you know, I, I just felt, you know, whatever, for whatever reason. But uh, today while I was researching him, I re- realized that he had written the book uh, for the Showtime Lakers. And I was looking at the reviews and I was like, this seems like something I have heard before. And I remember reading an article about uh, the Showtime Lakers and they had referenced your book uh, to, to say how bad Kareem was to his teammates and you know how he hated white people. Uh, and I'm a big, big Kareem fan. So I just, I instantly hated you at that point. It's like this guy wrote shit to sell his books. That's all this guy was. And I remember it so clearly that when I saw those reviews, I was like, it has to be this guy because nobody else has written trash about Kareem and it all comes from one source. And so you, my, my friend, are the biggest source for trashy content about Kareem. And I think that is not a bad place to be. Did you read the book? No. Did That's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing that drives me crazy. <laughs> I, um, I wrote one of my early books here was a book about a famous football player named Walter Payton. And um, he was famous running back for the Chicago Bears. And I wrote a book about him. And there was an excerpt from the book that ran in Sports Illustrated three weeks before the book came out. And the excerpt was all about Walter Payton at the end of his life when he was going through depression and anxiety and infidelity and all this stuff. And the excerpt comes out and people just go crazy. And they say, this guy, he's just taking a dump on Walter Payton. This is the worst guy. But then people read the book because the book came out. And they're like, oh, wait, no, he isn't. It's actually a very fair and honest and uh, accurate book. If you read Showtime, you will see. First of all, <laughs> I love Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I'm a huge Kareem fan. I think he's great. But I at least, I try to be honest. That you're like, you're a biographer and you're trying to write how people were treated and how people were and how they were received. And the only way to do that is honestly, I'm never looking to crap on someone. It's not my goal to ruin someone's reputation or crap on someone. It's just my goal to write a very fair and honest and accurate uh, breakdown of a time period. That's fair. I mean, like I said, I think I went to your Amazon reviews and I just searched Kareem and literally all the reviews that had the word Kareem had this, had basically the same thing, which is like, I, I really like the book, but I was not happy with how he portrayed Kareem. Like, I, I don't know if you've seen those reviews. So uh, anyway, my point being, you know, I think 
there was a part of Kareem that a lot of people didn't know. Uh, and that was, he was a kind of a recluse and probably had some resentment towards, uh, you know, the racial war that was happening in the U.S. And it, it could be true. Also, uh, so, wait, I just want to say, uh, like, if you actually read the book, I think it's a pretty nuanced look. Like what I actually write is if you look at how Kareem was brought up, he basically, from the time he was little, was this museum piece who walked around and was pointed at by everyone. He was basically used yeah, yeah. by white coaches the best they could to exploit him. When he was a young kid, his high school coach, who he really trusted, used the N-word on him and said, you're playing like an N-word. You know, he his whole career was basically people. And he had the guts to change his name for religious reasons when everyone was telling him not to. Yeah, that was crazy. So, oh, my God. At oh, that time? That was, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar oh is one God. of the most important sports civil rights figures in the history of America. So what's well, true? I'm just saying, if you read the book, I guess I'm challenging you to read the book, even if it's free in your library. Yeah, that's what he's saying. He's saying, read the book. Read the book. <laughs> don't believe, don't believe like Jed Laker fan 20 on Amazon. Like, read the book. <laughs> okay, uh, Jeff, right, my right. basic question is, uh, I mean, first question, we, we don't need anything else, but Shaq or Kobe? What is the answer? The answer is Shaq. Shaq. Boom! Yes! go i mean it is it doesn't mean so, now wait kobe had a better overall career than Shaq. there's no denying that he had a better overall career yeah who would i've rather been though agreed like who do i think enjoyed the ride more and sort of relish the ride and the joy of it i think Rashad. i'd rather be i've been saying this throughout promoting this book um you know how everyone used to be like Shaq. he doesn't work hard enough and look at kobe in the offseason he's shooting five thousand jumpers a day which was amazing but there's something to be said for being 27 years old and working your butt off during the season, having your ass kicked, double teamed, shack-a-hack, hack-a-shack, excuse me. And you decide, you know what? When the offseason comes, I'm going to go float in the pool and smoke cigars and enjoy my life and relish the fact that I'm 27 and an NBA superstar. And I think too many people criticize that when it was sort of he enjoyed the ride. And I think too many of us don't enjoy the ride. So there you go. Hey, man, I agree 100%. 100%. Like, I've, I've always felt Shaq and Kobe, I mean, it's always important for, you know, like your alpha dogs to sort of maybe coexist or at least have some sort of, like, what was the most uh, intriguing part of this uh, dynamic that you think that the world does not know, or, like, which you probably covered in your book, which I haven't read yet, but, yeah. you know. Really. I mean, there's the big and the little. Like, the big is, uh, I mean, Kobe shows up for his first day of training camp in 1996 and he's 18 years old he's straight out of high school and all the players go around and introduce themselves so you know nick van x or hey i'm nick i'm i've been a laker whatever three years hey i'm Shaq. blah 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 and kobe bryant goes my name's kobe i played at lower marion high school nobody here's gonna punk me that's his intro to the lakers and imagine you're like eldon campbell or like shaquille o'neal and this 18 year old kid they're saying nobody here is going to punk me. You're like, um, really? Because at that same time, that same year, Jermaine O'Neal was a rookie with out of high school with Portland. And Jermaine O'Neal was like, you know, getting people glasses of orange juice and bringing newspapers to their door humbly. And Kobe's like, ain't nobody going to punk me. And, you know, Shaq wanted to be, Shaq nicknamed him Showboat as a rookie. And it was not as a compliment. It was, you're a showboat. You're, you're a pain in the ass. You're, you think you're more than you are. And Shaq wanted him to want to be mentored. Like he wanted Kobe to come to him and say, what should I do? And how can I do this? And what advice do you have? And he never, he wouldn't, he just didn't want it. He didn't need it. So the resentment was very real. And it kind of came to a head during the strike year, they were playing um, a bunch of guys, NBA players, mostly Lakers were playing a pickup game at a community college near LA and Shaq and Kobe were on different teams. And at one point Kobe drives, Shaq calls a foul. I can curse in this podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kobe's basically like stopping a pussy. You know, you all you do is call fouls, cut it. And basically, Shaq says, "Yeah, you." You know, blah blah blah. I'll trade. I can get your ass traded to Vancouver. Oh, fuck you, blah blah blah. And Shaq goes pop and just pops him. And uh, Kobe's like this, and everyone's holding him back. And the guy, one of the guys, is Olden Polonese, longtime journeyman center, who's like grabbing around Kobe so he can't get at him and. It's his fight, you know, and it like, it was like, Olden told me at one point they were barking at each other, like, it's my team. No, it's my fucking team. Yeah, it's my team. And they weren't talking about pickup basketball at Southwest Community College. They were talking about the Lakers. 
And it really was eternally. Like yeah. Kobe came along and he thought he was going to be Michael Jordan from day one. And the amazing thing is he did become Michael Jordan in many ways. He wasn't Michael Jordan at day one, but he always had that mindset. And Shaq's mindset was, I'm the most dominating player in the game. I'm the highest paid player in the game. I'm the centerpiece of this organization. Wait your turn. Develop first. So it was a weird sort of, from the very early days, it was a, it was not a, it was never a at ease relationship. Uh, so I think, uh, Jeff, one, one question I have is to compare and contrast the two Lakers dynasties that were, you know, the 80s and I'll, I wasn't there for the 80s, uh, but I was there for the 2000s. Um, and what would you say, because they are very different personalities where I think uh, Kareem was probably more Kobe-esque in terms of silent, just focus, doing his thing, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Shaq was more Magic Johnson-ish. Yeah, uh, and, but what made probably the, the Kareem uh, Magic thing work out so, so well that they're still friends, they really blossomed, you know, they, they didn't have a, uh, like it wasn't a, at least a public thing where they had problems. And whereas that was not true um, with, um, you know, the 2000s. Yeah. Like, do you have any insight on that? Oh, do you I, think there's... Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. I think there are a couple of things. I think number one, so Magic comes along and he calls Kareem Cap from the beginning for captain. And there's respect and deference towards Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And he would always say, we just got to get Cap the ball. We got to get Cap the ball. Kareem posting up. Magic was not creating his own shot. He was getting it. And the thing is, he was still, even though he was 6'9", he was a traditional point guard in the fact that his number one job was to distribute, and he loved doing right. that. Um, and Kareem certainly found Magic's exuberance sometimes over the top and kind of annoying at times, but that was his Kareem because he was stoic and he was very professional and very... Um, but he respected Magic and he respected his ability and he never talked trash about him. He wasn't... He was never jealous of any... You know, because Kareem didn't even like dealing with the media, really. So it wasn't like attention going to Magic was a bad thing. It was a good thing mm. for Kareem. All right, I can leave early. I can walk out of the locker room after the game. Great. Um, and that was just drastically different. I mean, Shaq, they both, there was no, all right, you know how people are like, who is the alpha? Mm-hmm. You get that a lot. Who is the alpha? Yeah. That very term didn't exist with Magic and Kareem. Like, it wasn't even yeah. a thing. It wasn't even a, there were no one would ever ask, who's the alpha here? If they did, it would be yeah. Kareem. Kareem's the alpha. Of course he's the alpha. And then number two is Norm Nixon. And number three is Jamal Wilkes. And Magic is the rookie, and his job is to get him on the ball. Kobe came in expecting to be the centerpiece. He came along in an era where, you know, he was drafted with Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson was drafted to be the centerpiece of the Philadelphia 76ers. Stephon Marbury was going to be a centerpiece. Uh, Ray Allen was going to be a centerpiece. Like you were drafted in a way to be a centerpiece where he was drafted into an era when players were brands and you were an island to yourself in many ways. And, you know, what is your career going to be like? And not is it how are you going to help the team? What is your career going to be? What is your brand going to be? How are you going to market yourself? That was what Kobe came into. He came in with a sneaker deal coming out of high school. So it was just a different mindset and a different approach to basketball. And Magic Kareem was much more of a, you can help me and I can help you. And Kobe was like, I want to get mine. And Shaq is, I want to get mine. And hopefully we'll come together and win, but I got to get mine. So so um, I'm guessing Phil Jackson's introduction was pretty crucial because till then they kept getting bounced out by Utah, kept getting swept out. So... I mean, we, we've seen in the last dance how, you know, he was able to bring a calming effect to Michael Jordan's career as well, right? Like in the last dance, he talks uh, talks about it. So h- how come, like, everyone just uh, bought into that system of Phil Jackson? Like, what was this calming thing that Phil Jackson was able to bring in? Is there something that you talk about? Yeah, yeah. So they have, most of their time in the previous three years was under Dell Harris and a little bit under Kurt Rambis. And Dale Harris was a guy, he was a longtime NBA coach. He's very smart. He knew his basketball, certainly at the same level as Phil Jackson. But he had one fatal flaw, which is he wouldn't shut up. He talked and 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 talked. And for the basketball player of the 80s, okay, for the modern basketball player, it was already uh, an era of immediacy, immediate gratification, immediate this, immediate that. You couldn't take 20 minutes to explain a point that you could do in three. And he lost the players. He really lost the players. And then Kerr Rambis comes along. He's never been a head coach before. He's only 41 years old. Um, he doesn't really have the respect of players. He coddles Kobe way too much. The other players get annoyed. 
And they start saying, we want Phil. We want Phil. Phil Jackson, he wasn't coaching that year. He was just home. And the thing that Phil Jackson came with, and it's, I'm not oversimplifying, it's really true. He came with six rings, championship rings as a, yeah. as a coach. Came with two more as a player. He accomplished those rings with Michael Jordan, so the best player to ever play the game, arguably, and a hero to all these guys. So as soon as he arrives, he already comes with a level of respect and awe that Dell Harris didn't have and Karamis didn't have. And then he shows up, and who's his right-hand man? It's Tex Winter, who is the inventor of the triangle offense. So it's not like we have some teacher who's going to teach. We have the teacher who's going to teach us. And then he says, Shaq, you're the centerpiece. Well, that's great. Shaq, I'm, I'm the centerpiece of his offense. That's great. Um, and he also, I mean, he was always very smart. And this also goes to Jerry West. The veterans he had on those teams were really big sort of um, implementers of the system, implementers of a comm. Like the last man on the Lakers that year was John Sally, who played for Phil in Chicago. And um, and John Sally was this guy who knew the triangle inside mm-hmm. out, was really good relating to players. So Phil would rely on these veterans to filter the message to all these guys. And like, yeah, everyone talked about Phil Jackson with the books and the Zen and all that stuff. That was almost like side shiny objects. The truth of the matter is his greatest skills were he had a, a brilliant reputation and a brilliant track record, and he was very calm and patient. That's it. That's it. That's fine. And in terms of like, so to, for, to write this book, uh, who was like the most helpful with all that happened in, in, in the back uh, of the Lakers, you know, during that run, like who was, who are the top three, four people who kind of just came up with all this information for you? Are you asking him for the sources, Vinny? Yeah, that's fair. I respect that. Um, my number one, I probably had, I got eight hours with Phil Jackson. In my right. I, yeah. So I wow. spent a lot of time driving around with him which is great. I thought I was going to get an hour and he gave me eight and he couldn't have been better. Um, Dell Harris was actually fantastic. I got six hours with Dell Harris in Dallas, just sitting at a golf course talking. Awesome. Um, Rick Fox was outstanding and great and really smart. And then I would say Shaq. Shaq was Oh, Shaq. Oh, that's great. Was a, yeah, he was fantastic. He was, one thing about Shaq, I'll tell you, is um, he was drinking a soda and a normal person, when they like I have normal hands, I'm drinking a soda. This is the cup, and the cup looks like this. I'm, I'm holding a cup, and here's a cup. Shaq was holding this size cup, but in his hand, it looked like this. It was like the optical illusion of all time. One of the weirdest things ever. I kept looking at the cup going, like, is that a real soda? Is that a... It was unbelievable. Yeah, but he was great. He was great. He couldn't have been better. You're drinking Shaq soda, though. He was drinking Coke. Oh. Yeah. Shaq got caught. Shaq got caught. <laughs> That got caught. So the other question I had uh, was in terms of like my guess is as a writer for you, the basketball is less important than the characters. I think the characters yes. for you are extremely important. And uh, I can see how you pick two. Obviously, I think you're from California. So you pick the Lakers. The Lakers are the I'm most from New York, actually, but I live in California. Oh, you live in California. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So is there a New York book coming? There has to be a New York. I mean, no, because I don't pick, I don't pick subjects based on teams. I pick uh, subjects based on characters, characters and interest. Yeah. Okay, all right, fair enough. Um, so, in terms of like just story, right? Just in terms of how ridiculous the characters were, um, would you would you pick the '80s Lakers in terms of you know Showtime, the AIDS stuff, the drugs, the cocaine, mm-hmm. just just the craziness that that was there in the '80s? Uh, or would you pick uh, just this? Because I think with with the uh, with the Lakers of of '96 2004, it just was the Kobe and Shaq feud. I mean, everybody else, like you said, were like they knew Shaq was the man. You you feed the big boy, and, and you you have a system with Phil. Like there wasn't, I, I, as far as I I know, there wasn't like all of this outside stuff that kind of affected. It was mostly internally. Whereas I think with the '80s, it was a lot of outside stuff that probably affected the the teams more. The thing is, I'm like, I'm all about characters and these teams, this era had three guys who I just love, like love, love besides Shaq and Kobe, who are fascinating. Tim Duncan, um, the most fascinating character. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, we really need a Tim Duncan book. Um, they had J.R. Ryder on their team and J.R. Ryder was absolutely crazy. And um, I actually drove to his house and knocked on his door to get him. I didn't have a phone number, so I knocked on his door randomly. That was a little terrifying. And ah. um he was like, what are you doing? Who are you? And I'm like, oh, who are you? <laughs> it was, it was, it was scary. Um, but he was, I mean, he's an amazing character. He, um, 
he liked smoking pot. And one time they were going through customs in Toronto and the, the dog, the drug dogs are going all over him. And they pull him in the customs and his tracksuit smelled so much like marijuana. He didn't even have anything on him, but he had such a smell that the dogs are going crazy. But he was, he like, one time he, he missed three straight days of practice because his car broke down, but he only lived 300 yards from the practice facility. Like that's J.R. Ryder. It's the most, he's unbelievable. Then Cedric Ceballos, who actually nicknamed himself Chice, short for franchise, because he, was, he considered himself the franchise player. That was crazy. And then Dennis Rodman played for those Lakers. And Dennis Rodman, you could write a million pages oh, off yeah. of. And he was only there for a short period of time, but he was insane and great. And like, he's the only player ever that anyone remembers who would um, only take showers before games, not after. <laughs> what? Figure that one out. Yeah. Dennis Rodman is the man. Have you ever had a chat with Dennis Rodman? That's a great question. Not for this book. It's possible when he was playing for Chicago, but I don't remember. I saw him at the racetrack once. Oh, okay. Racetrack. Was he racing? I was just, just there. Horse track. The horse track. <laughs> oh, okay. Just betting on horses. I don't know why. He, I, it's the only time I've ever been, and Dennis Rodman was there. Yeah. Like, you talked about characters, right? Characters fascinate you. Um, like, today, NBA has become like a 24-7, 365 sort of sport on social media, right? Like, in in the regular season, you have speculations and uh, player ratings and like, oh, Westbrook is this, Westbrook is that, or uh, Steph Curry is the greatest or this. Like uh, daily, uh, these narratives keep getting built and keep getting destroyed. And then like, like there's so much happening, right? Like in the off season also, there's something going on. Uh, speculations happening every time. Do you find uh, such characters in today's game or... If you if you had to pick like one character for your fictional book, let's say you know ten twenty years later, if you had to talk about a group of characters, or maybe twenty years later, if you had to write a book, then who would you write about based on this period, like twenty ten to right now, perhaps? I think LeBron is an amazing book. Mm-hmm. I think the rise and career of LeBron is actually as fascinating as one would think if you consider his off the court actions too. I think LeBron is a great book. I do think. Um, I think as times pass, one thing that happens here in the United States, I don't know if it happens there too, but it drives me crazy, is people are very into the specialization of sports for kids. So a kid who loves basketball nowadays is playing basketball 10, 11 months a year. And it used to be you'd play baseball, you played football, you'd run track, you'd do different things. And I think the negative of that is it makes people much less interested because they have much less diverse backgrounds. So kids are being turned into these robots who only play basketball and they can only talk about basketball or only talk about baseball and that's all they know and it's all they've seen and they're put in these boxes. And these guys, Shaq, Kobe, all these guys, like Kobe, not a great example, but most of these guys, they were brought up doing different sports, doing different things, experiencing different things. Even Kobe, at least he lived in Italy, so he had this different culture experience. A lot of kids now, they just come up as robots and I actually think it hurts their full character. I really do, I see it in all sports, it drives me absolutely crazy. My kids, I'm lucky, are good at no sports. Hey, they, they may be great sports writers. Maybe so. I doubt. Not if like how, did, how did you pick this? And, and in terms of, so I, I heard your part with Ryan Rosillo and, and Bill Simmons. And yeah, that was fun. Yeah. And uh, Simmons is like, you know, the basketball savant, if you may, from a media perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, Go to game. Yeah. And so in, in, from your, you've been writing and you've been in ESPN. For, I think you wrote for ESPN also for a while. I used to. Yeah. yeah. And who are your like top three? Uh, basketball media personalities that you think a are interesting, b have a lot of uh, weight in the in the media industry because I know that you you were shitting over somebody that Alan Iverson was shitting over and you're like this guy doesn't oh, know what the hell Jason Willock, Jason right. Willock, yes Jason Willock, that's the guy. <laughs> He's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> so who are your top three guys? Who are the guys you're like? All right, these people are legit. They know their stuff. They write really well. Uh, they have the approval of the industry in terms of just sports writing media. Let's let's pick basketball because I don't know any other sport. Okay. Um, Howard Beck, who recently was let go by Bleacher Report, is great. He's just great. Uh, Mark Stein at the Washington Post that sounds good, yeah. is, is great. I mean, at the New York Times, excuse me, is great. Um, as far as announcers, I, she's controversial, but I love Doris Burke. Like, I love Doris Burke. I think we love Doris Burke as well. We all love Doris Burke. She's amazing. Why, why is she controversial? I don't know. I never knew that. Because people are because people are sexist pigs here, and if a woman oh. says something, 
they'll be like, ah, but she doesn't know what she's talking about. And if a man says it, they'll say, oh, he knows exactly what he's talking about. Oh. Dars Burke is one of my favorite favorites. She's really Dars good. She's really, so, really um, good. I put her as a broadcaster as my number three. But I, um, yeah, I mean, Mark Stein, Howard Beck, Dars Burke, my big three. Right. And Simmons, it's funny, when I was on the podcast the other day, Simmons knows a lot more about modern basketball than I do. And I was kept waiting for that question I wouldn't be able to answer. And I was like, oh, what's coming? What's coming? And uh, I survived okay. But he's – it's funny. Simmons has really – he's always been two steps ahead of where media is going. Oh, absolutely. It's really, yeah. And I used to sort of be like, oh, this guy, what the hell? And then you realize, oh, wait, he actually knows what he's doing, and he's two steps ahead. So I have a lot of respect for Bill. And he's done, he's done it, like, consistently. You know, like, he started off the blogging when no one has read blogs, and he's read yes. these massive blogs. Uh, yeah. So I agree, 100%. And the stuff he did with Grantland was just, I mean, so far ahead of its time. Now everybody's doing what they do at Grantland. So, yeah, you're right. I agree. I agree. And so I want, I want to get this on, on, on our pod is – uh, you know, when you put out the tweet, like you are going to do whatever you want to promote the podcast, I was like, we got to get him on our pod. So would you say that you are the best promoter of sports media books that ever lived? Would you say that? No, but. Oh, no, come on. I can't really say it. I'm sure there's somebody who's been better than me, but I will say, I mean, I can, I've done, the book came out on Tuesday, okay? This is my 109th interview for this book. What? Okay, 109. 109. This is the That's best. That's not saying though, right? This is by far the best. Okay. Of someone with a beard. It's by far the best. <laughs> Ryan Rosillo has a beard, so that's good. Better than Ryan Rosillo. That's Rassilo. true. We'll take it with the caveat. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, no, I just like, I believe, I know this isn't going to be as good as you want. I think you, when you put out a book, <laughs> You have to bust your ass for that book. You have to. You have to. You have to bust your ass and you have to put out as much as you can. And like I see like right here in America right now, Bob Woodward has a book out about Donald Trump and it's outselling me by a million because he's Bob Woodward and I'm not. But like I've known people who wrote him, sent him DMs and he didn't reply and they bought his book. To me, if you're buying my book, I'm replying to you. If you ask me to be on your podcast, I'm going to be on your podcast. Like you're doing me the honor. In fact, when you guys say thanks for appearing, I say no. I, and I mean it like you're doing me the favor. You're not selling anything. I actually have a book I'm trying to get out there. And it's here in America. It's so noisy right now. And everyone is screaming and everyone feels like the sky is falling. It's really hard to get it out there. So I'm just busting my ass as hard as I can. I'm exhausted. My throat is gone. My voice is gone. My family is tired of hearing about the Lakers. But I am here, man. I am here. <laughs> So Jeff, how, how has this, uh, I mean, in India, we, uh, we've been in sort of a lockdown for a while. Uh, I mean, the, whatever I read about America, America's normal life has sort of resumed. I'm not sure if a lot of people are out on the streets or, you know, how, how they're dealing with the pandemic. But like, how was it when the pandemic struck and when normal life disrupted for you? What, what was that like? Well, we're still people who believe you have to be careful. And the exasperating thing is a lot of people don't. A lot of people are like, hey, you know, like we had a, um, on the street I live, we had a, this is four months ago, probably. I live on like a dead end, a cul-de-sac. And they had like a little social distancing street party. And we couldn't go because my wife was sick. And I look out the window and everyone's like this far apart from each other. Like, hey, blah, blah, blah. And they're drinking. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? People still don't wear masks. We have an idiot president who says you don't have to wear a mask. Like, it is the worst. It's the worst time of my life. It's the worst period of my life. People are dumb. Uh, if you, any of you guys want to trade, I'll come to India. You come to America. Like I can't. Or you uh, come to India and we'll stay in India. I mean, it's just as bad. Here I just, as I'm like, it's exasperating. It's really tiring to be in America right now. And everyone, it's the craziest thing. I'll tell you the craziest thing. Everyone you talk to of all parties, of all beliefs, of all races, of all religions, we're all having the worst year ever but we can't even bond over that. Like that should be the bond. Oh, you're having a shitty year. I'm having a shitty year. Let's at least acknowledge we're all having shitty years, but no one does. We don't do that anymore here. It kills me. It really does. Oh, it's been a pretty shitty year for everybody. Yeah. And we should be able to bond over that. Don't you think? Like, I, I agree. Man, I, I agree. I know what you're going through. I know what you're going through. Okay. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah. I, hey, I, man. Just, I just remembered that uh, I think 26th Jan or 25th Jan it was, uh, we were preparing for it. So Ron Harper was in India. Like he, he, he was a guest of NBA India and we were supposed to interview him. And that night we heard of uh, Kobe's passing away. And 
like the pure shock for for the first for the first uh, I think half an hour me and Vinita like yeah yeah definitely this is what I, I told him about it and he's like no what what no, no I called my like, reaction too no no that doesn't make no that doesn't make any sense and uh, like it felt like such a personal loss like uh, I mean I still can't you know find the exact words to describe the feeling but absolutely dumbstruck I was uh, I think it was around one a.m. in the morning or one thirty when this happened and I was just sitting there, sitting there, no reaction, nothing, just sitting there and thinking like, how could this happen? This is really happened. Maybe they're all, this is a huge joke. Maybe it's March 31st and it's uh, April 1st is going to happen. And like, I have just lost track of time. And uh, I mean, the, the outpouring in India itself for Kobe Bryant was uh, huge. There were like a lot of candlelight vigils and all that. Uh, are you a Kobe fan? Like, uh, but, I mean, you have covered a lot of him. So, what, what was it like hearing about that his uh, death? Well, I mean, I, I had a very unique perspective because I just finished a book that was a lot about him. So, I was like you. I was like, that can't be. That's that's a mistake. You know, and the first person reported was TMZ, which is kind of a yeah, trashy yeah, news source yeah. here. Yeah. And I thought, no, that 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 can't be. It doesn't make sense. I am a I mean, I moved to Southern California six years ago, right? And I feel like I didn't fully understand the depth of Kobe Bryant, like the depth, not death, but the depth of Kobe Bryant. And being here when he died, it really showed me what it was. And it wasn't about like great players come and go, yeah. you know, like great players come and go. What he had and what he gave people was this like dogged determination like this. You work and you work and you work and you work. And you can accomplish something. And if you put your mind into it and you put your effort into it, you will do it. And I really think that's what it was about Kobe that was different than other athletes to other people. There's people around here, what they, yeah, he could be a pain in the ass. And yes, Eagle Colorado. I don't know what happened in Eagle Colorado. But that freaking guy worked his ass off, busted his butt, and whatever he put his mind to, he was able to accomplish. And maybe if he can do it that way, maybe I can do it that way too. And I just think that spoke to a lot of people, especially a lot of people your age. Younger people who are like, all right, this guy can do it. I'm going to use this same approach. And, um, yeah, I, just, I think that's what it was. I really do. And he was a great player. And he represented L.A. well. Uh, Jeff, so what are your thoughts about this NBA bubble? Do you think this experiment, uh, this is sort of like a science experiment, right? Like you, you put people into a controlled environment. Do you think it's gone well? Have you been enjoying the NBA playoffs? Do you watch a lot of basketball? I have watched not as much as I probably should or usually would. Um you know what happened is I initially didn't take it very seriously, and I thought, eh, this doesn't really count. And I will say what has changed for me is it used to be like this idea, like if it's a strike short in season, well, the championship doesn't really count. It's kind of an asterisk by the season. Mm-hmm. I feel like in a way, whoever wins this championship, it almost counts more than normal. I mean, yeah. in boldface, like the amount of things I had to go through, the survival, you're not with your family, you're not with your friends, you don't have home cooking, you're not in your home arena. I think it's really a battle of attrition. So as it has gone on, I've enjoyed it more and more because I just have so much respect for the effort it takes to win in this environment. I think it's been great. I think of all the sports, basketball has handled it best by far. Um, And I think if I had money and I could have bet on the Heat and the Nuggets possibly making it to the finals, I mean, it's not going to, but I could have been a rich man because no one saw that coming. I think it's been great. I think it's really worked out. (laughs) They've handled it as well as you could, you know, so. Okay. So Jeff, uh, I've been looking at your uh, your Amazon page and it seems like you have three books in the top 50 of sports biographies. So congratulations on that. Uh, that you know that speaks volumes of your words and also your ability to promote yourself. So that's that's phenomenal. <laughs> I am the best promoter in the world, you know. Oh, so there you go. We got it. We got the song. Yes, you finally said it. You finally said it. There's nobody got better. Got by. That's, it. That's all. Jay Serrano, you suck. No, I'm it just only... kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, do not use that. Yeah. It only took us. Uh, it only took us two Zoom calls yeah, to get exactly. it there, but we, we got, got it. it. All right. So, <laughs> so a couple of questions about that. I, how much of it? How much of a sports fan are you? Are you a sports fan first? a writer second and a media person third, or are you a writer first, sports fan second, and a media person third? I'd say I'm a writer first. Yeah. Writing is my love. Then I'm probably a media person. Then a sport. I am, 
as I have gotten older, I am much less of a sports fan. And I'll tell you what happens. I covered baseball at a magazine, Sports Illustrated, for years. And when you cover a sport really, really closely, you start seeing how they make it behind the scenes. And you start seeing the business behind the sport. It's a business. Like, you see it's a business. And it's much, much harder to look at it the same way as you did when you were a kid. And you just loved it and idolized the athletes. It just becomes harder. I still love watching great performances. I still admire great performances. I still love the drama of a great game. But will I be watching Nuggets Pacers on a random Tuesday night? No. Not that often. Not that often. Got it. Got it. Because, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I had that sense with you, which is like at, there was a point where you were a sports fan, but you're more of like a writer right now. Like you're, you're picking good stories and writing good stuff. And in terms of – so if I had to, if I had to like probe the sports fan, uh, Jeff – uh, today, uh, what would be your favorite kind of uh, basketball team that you either secretly admired or you openly say, okay, I'm a big fan of this team? Well, as a as a kid, if you're gonna if you're gonna say San Antonio Spurs, please then say I'll Spurs. Stop you right now. Please don't say San Antonio. As a kid, uh, that's why he's asked that question. It's I'm a big Spurs fan. I love the Spurs. I think yes. they're just better. No, just kidding. My team um, growing up was uh, I was a big Nets fan growing up. I was a New Jersey Nets. I was wow. New Jersey Nets. And they were terrible. They were really bad, but I always liked them. Because where I grew up, everyone was Knicks fans. So I was like a contrarian, and I picked the Nets. And um, then they drafted probably my favorite college player, this guy named Pearl Washington, who was a point guard at Syracuse. And I was like, oh, this is the greatest. And Pearl Washington, if you look him up, he averaged about six points and three assists a game before flaming out of the NBA. Um, But nowadays what happens is you end up rooting for players more than teams, and you root for good stories more than anything. Narratives, yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay, so so the so the Nets. I mean, it, it's a good time to be a Nets fan right now. You got but I'm not really a Nets fan anymore. Anymore. Saw, uh, and also, you know what I will say? Also, I really mean this. Like I remember when the Knicks made the trade for Carmelo Anthony. This is a good example. And they gave up Danilo Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, Ray Felton. And at the time they made that trade, they were a really fun team. They were running up and down the court. Yeah. A lot of fast breaks, a lot of passing. Amari Stoudemire was there. They just felt like they were really exciting. And they weren't going to win a championship. They were going to be a six seed. And they were going to be a really fun six team seed. to watch. Yeah, they were going to be a great, fun six seed. And then they made the trade for Carmelo. And he never passed the ball. And the team was boring. And it was basically waiting for Carmelo Anthony. And they haven't been fun since. Because there's something really fun about being scrappy and the underdog. And the Nets, a couple of years ago, before they signed KD, before they got Kyrie. They were, the, the they were the, yeah, you're right. They were so fun. Yeah. They were so fun. And you knew they weren't going to win. But you're like, Joe Harris. Where did Joe Harris come from? All of a sudden, Joe Harris is good. And they get D'Angelo Russell, and he's kind of off the Lakers scrap heap a little bit. And all of a sudden, he's really good. And that team, remind, they were great. And now... Even if the Nets win the championship, it'll feel like it was purchased a little bit. You know, it just doesn't feel as organic and fun. So for me, I love the Knicks before they get Carmelo. I love the Nets before they make these deals. There's just something about the organic team that I really like. Okay. So you should be a Spurs fan. You are like a closet Spurs, Spurs fan. That's what you are. I like teams. I do I always like how the Spurs build. And they always seem to pick these guys and find these guys. And little, where Patty Mills? One day you're talking about Patty Mills, you know, or... Guys like that have just come along out of nowhere. And you're like, wow, that's cool how they just found these guys. Like, I love that. So I love teams like that. I do. Got it. I think you should join the OKC Thunder bandwagon. Just, I uh, love how the Thunder, like, I love the Paul George trade. You know, I love how they got all these pieces. Like, I always think, like, you're never going to go wrong with Danilo Gallinari. Like, you're never going to go wrong. Good play. I don't get why they keep keep moving around. He's such a good player. It's ridiculous. Because he should be. Because he's your third best player, and you'll trade him as a package to get a hopefully a number one. But guys like that, if you build with guys like that, you're going to have a good something good. So wherever he is, I'm usually a fan because I feel like it's a smart team that gets a guy like him. As dumb mm-hmm. as that sounds. Anyway, that's cool. That's cool. 
All right, so we have a quiz. Yalna is a nice guy. India based. I wanted to ask one, oh, one no, last no, question about the one last question about the no. the book. Yeah. See, uh, so we always hear. I mean, your book's title lists the main characters, right? Like Shaq, Kobe, and uh, Phil Jackson. So in Indian award ceremonies, like in the movie, like you have the Academy Awards, we have a multitude of awards where we have something called a supporting character, which. I, I don't think there's, there a, there's here. one in the Academy, Academy Award. Has it too. Best supporting yeah, actor. Okay, then uh, I will edit this part out okay, <laughs> to make me sound smarter. But anyway, what I'm saying is, <laughs> so, so uh, like you said, you know, they have these uh, elder statesmen there to maintain some sort of rank and order. I read, uh, I, I think I heard on the Bill Simmons podcast about how during the 2004 finals, they had to get Brian Shaw to come to the uh, locker room and arrange like a, uh, you know what is that thing called when you and the two truce. mafia dons come and meet and a uh, truce yes something of that sort uh during these three uh championship years was there ever some somewhere where they where the handle just blew off where they're like oh man this is not too much you know we need to take it to the uh yard and have a fight like just we need to do this because there's too much egos happening we need to someone to come down was there someone some calming presence like i don't know like derek fisher was on that team he looks like a calm guy uh like anyone of that uh, aptitude who could probably calm the num- or did it ever reach a boiling point is basically what i would say rick fox was that guy actually so Rick Fox, Rick Fox, he was respected yeah. because he was a very good player. He had been the main guy in Boston. They were bad teams, but he was the main guy. And he actually was a guy who sort of kind of had Kobe's ear. Um, they both spoke Italian, which is kind of funny. The Rick Fox wasn't born in America. They had this kind of international flair to them. Um, Shaq really respected Rick Fox and considered him a very good friend. So I'd say of anyone, it was, it was Fox. And there was one moment... During the NBA Finals in in three in 2004, when everything was falling apart and nothing was going well, and Kobe was shooting insane shots, and Gary Payton wasn't playing well, and they had abandoned the triangle, and Rick Fox called for a meeting of the five guys who had been on all three championship teams. So it was Rick, Devin George, Shaq, um, Kobe, and Derek Fisher, and they met with Phil, and they said, mm-hmm. "Can we please get back to the triangle offense and let's play just." Try playing the five of us, and let's see how that goes. And Phil Jackson said, okay, I'll try it. And it, it didn't work. But it was a good idea, and it was Rick Fox kind of leading the charge there. Got it. Awesome. Uh, I, I, I think in that ESPN interview with uh, Shaq and Kobe, uh, Kobe's sort of like, you know, I take responsibility for not uh, getting the new guys together. But I'm not, I mean, like, retrospectively, I, I don't know if Carl Malone and Gary Payton probably would have, like, you know, it's not Carl Malone and Gary Payton who came to the team. So I'm not sure if, you know, they would have been able to do anything. I, I think that team was doomed because Shaq was no longer, I, I don't know, like Shaq. I mean, Shaq was fine. Put, put up just... those numbers, but he was not like, you know, 35, 35-12 sort of numbers. And Kobe was shooting like, uh, oh. I think they were just tired of each other. Some... Everyone was tired of each other. They were just tired. They were bored. After a while, when people say, like, how many more titles could they have won? None. Because they were done. Like, they were done with it. They were all done with it. They were just tired of it all. And the whole Eagle Colorado rape situation was hanging over this team. Malone got hurt. Peyton was the wrong point guard. Shaq definitely, he was still great, but he wasn't the same. And he wasn't as working as hard. And he wanted out. And they were all about money and greed. And it was done. And Detroit, the other thing, I, Detroit was just a better team. They weren't as talented, but they were a better good, team yeah. at that point. I, I think they were also was, matched. They were very well matched to beat them. So well. First of all, they were long. They had guys like Tayshawn Prince and Chauncey Billups and Rip Hamilton, who gave Kobe a lot of trouble. Um, Defensively, as well as offensive, yeah. They also had a lot of big guys. Just running around screens. Yeah, just running right, exactly. around screens. Kobe and they had a lot of big guys who just beat the crap out of Shaq, and they kept bringing in more big guys and bringing in more big guys. And they were physical. They were really physical. They were Ben Wallace and Chauncey Billups and Rasheed Wallace, and they were just a bunch of badass guys, and they played well. Rasheed. I love Rasheed. She's a great player. Uh, well, I love Rashid. Uh, he should have been finalist MVP. He loves you mind. too. I talked to him. He loves you. I'm going to ask a very controversial question. Now, now that you have brought this up, because I know, I know Ashwin's not going to like this question, but you, you talked about the... No, no, I think I know what your question is, but... Uh, you talked about the, the alleged Kobe rape case. Uh, did you dig into that for, for your book a lot or just was a it lot. very... Oh, a lot. 
Okay, so I know that it is it's probably in bad taste to talk about somebody, you know, he's passed away and you, you don't want to talk shit about him and people make mistakes. Uh, but there was this whole issue with people being like, don't glorify a guy who's done what he did. Um, and, you know, there are two camps, which is like people make mistakes and they repent for it and they, they accept it. Um, and the others were like, he never accepted it. He just, he kind of brushed it off and said, this never happened. And the person, the victim is lying and, you know, they settled out of court. What was your take on it from what you did, what you learned about that situation? Okay. So I, um, I spent a lot of time reporting this. This was before Kobe died. I went to Eagle, Colorado. I interviewed the district attorney. I interviewed one of the lead detectives. I interviewed a lot of people who covered the case. I interviewed the mayor of the town where it happened. I think this is obviously kind of a guess because the only people who really know are the people who are in the room. Yeah. I think a few things. I think, um, I think Kobe left that night thinking he had sex with a woman who wanted to have sex with him. Like who thought, oh my God, I'm in this room with Kobe Bryant. Now I'm having sex with Kobe Bryant. This is great. I think the woman thought she was going to that room to fool around with Kobe Bryant and things got crazy really quick. And all of a sudden she looks and she's being raped. Like I think Kobe left that room convinced they just had sex and he had sex with basically a groupie. And I think she left that room thinking, holy shit, I was just raped by Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if the case went to trial, he would have gone to prison probably for a good amount of time. Um, The DA was convinced he did. Oh, the DA was convinced. So so everybody, oh, wow. Convinced. The lead detective was convinced he did it. The case was about to go to trial and she backed out at the last minute. Um, She had, she had been going through hell. She was publicly identified. You had places like the National Enquirer standing outside her house. Um, People accusing her of, you know, trying to bring down this superstar and how dare you do this to Kobe. Um, she also reached an out-of-court settlement with him where she got paid very well. And also, I, I believe that. Her, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just think life isn't always black and white. I really don't. And I think he was, when they, when the, the detectives put up to him that night, she basically, the next day after it happened, she went to the police, they interviewed her. They believed her. Then they went to the hotel where Kobe was. They couldn't, they encountered him while he was walking through the parking lot. They started interviewing him. You'll see in the book, if you read the book, that he should have said, I need, I need my attorney here. I'm not going to talk to you guys. I need an attorney. He didn't. He was telling them stuff. First, he said, they asked him, they said, did you have sex with her? And he said, no. And then they're like, well, she came to us and we did a rape kit, a rape uh, case. And, um, she, a rape kit, excuse me, and we have blood and semen samples. And it's basically like, we're going to ask you again, did you have sex with her? And he's like, okay, here's the thing. I did have sex with her. So he did not help himself by lying five oh, minutes into yeah. a conversation with detectives. And then if you read it, it's very interesting because um, they keep saying to him, like, look, we don't want to talk to you out here. Let's go back to your room. We don't want to embarrass you. Let's go back to your room. And what they were doing basically was trying to get him to take them to the scene of the crime. And he did. He's like, yeah, okay. And they go back to the room and then they start collecting stuff from the scene, his underwear, his shirt, all the stuff, stuff with semen samples, et cetera. Um, you're as just a human being, you're sitting there as you read this yelling at the book or wherever you read it, the transcript thinking, tell them you need an attorney, tell them you need an attorney, tell them you need an attorney. It's one of the, it's, I said to my wife the other day, I'd never thought of it this way. For a guy who was so cool under pressure on the court, he was, he lost his composure in at this moment. And I'm not saying I wouldn't or anyone wouldn't. He lost his composure and um, handled it very, very poorly. And if you read the statement he issued when they came to the settlement, it's, you'll see it in the book. I mean, it's basically, we have reached an agreement I don't think I raped her, but I understand why she thinks I raped her. Like it's, it's, it's not. It's not yeah. I think that's what, that's what people had a problem with is just not accepting, you know. Uh, but the thing is, here's the thing. If you reach a settlement, you really, you say what your statement and then you move on. Like you, yeah. 
you're not going to come out and say in a, in the next interview, yeah, I, I actually I raped her. Yeah, you know, legally, they're, yeah. You're not going to do it. So it's hard for me to criticize him for that. But he put himself in a really bad situation. The other thing that was bad is once he was flying in and out of Eagle, Colorado to go to be in court and he would be flying back to the play for the Lakers. And he was legitimately annoyed at the mm-hmm. Lakers for the plane they were having him use. They were actually supplying a plane that would fly him back and forth. And he, he was mad at the Lakers for the quality of the plane. And I just think like, I mean, buddy, like the surgery in Eagle, Colorado, he, he had without the Lakers permission, like he actually went and arranged on his own. Wow. He's in, so he's in Eagle, Colorado for a surgery. He's doing behind the Lakers back. He's having sex with a woman who's not his wife and she's accusing him of rape. Um, and he's mad at the Lakers for the quality of the airplane. Like there's something wrong right there. Like that is not right. Yeah. All right. That, that, that went deep. I had no idea what the, that went deep. It's dark, uh, man. It's dark. Yeah. It's dark. yeah I, I think that, that, that phase of Kobe, uh, really kind of gets, gets missed okay. by the fans or kind of they, they, they decide that this never happened. This part of his life didn't happen. But I think that made that made a lot of changes for him. You know, I think I, I don't know, but I saw that in his game. Uh, maybe it made him more focused, I guess. I'll tell you one thing I always think about all the time. I don't know why. When I was a kid, there used to be a TV show on in America. Uh, it was called um, Growing Pains. No, Family Ties. Family Ties. And I remember this one episode when I was a kid. This kid goes to see, he wins a contest to see his his favorite singer in concert. And he goes to the concert and you get to meet the singer beforehand. And he knocks on the door and he opens the door and the singer is fooling around with some woman and it's not his wife. And the kid is devastated. He's just devastated. And I remember that he has this talk with his dad and his dad, they come to this conclusion. You can love a guy's music and not love the person, right? You don't have to, whatever this guy does, it doesn't matter. You still love his music. And I think it is okay for Kobe fans to love his game and love his work ethic. And that's enough. Like, I think that's fine. There's nothing yeah, wrong with that. I agree. And I, and I, th- I think uh, with Vineeth, what our discussion was that it wasn't appropriate to discuss this just when Kobe yeah. had died because then we had a Kobe Yeah, and we, we didn't really like, discuss it uh, in any of I don't blame parts. you. Yeah. We, we didn't really. I don't blame you. I also think, like, there were people, I don't know what you saw, but there was a lot on social media the day he died, the day after he died. We need to ridiculous. talk about the rape. Yeah, you don't have to talk about it no. that day. You no. know what? You can give it a week, you can give it two weeks, you can give it a month, you can give it a year. Yeah. I just think yeah. in that moment when you know a lot of people are hurting, you can you can hold off your your need to be angry. Like yeah. hold off. And I also felt like, you know, you're probably the best person. I wouldn't say best, but you, you have done more research about this than probably ninety nine point nine percent of the people. So your your perspective is more valid than any of us, you know. So thanks, thanks for sharing. I am the that. best. I am the best book promoter in the world. <laughs> is this is this stuff in the book too? What? That I'm the oh. best book promoter in the world? Yeah. It's the name of the book. That is the book. In, uh, in India, the name of the book is Three Ring Circus, but in America, there's a special cover. It's called Best Book Promoter in the World. <laughs> uh, we have some we have some questions about. Uh, are, are we, are we, uh, I I have uh, like one really important question to ask though. Uh, are we close enough friends that we can now give a discount uh, saying ball is weight ten for ten percent off or uh, do we have to do this? Uh... My publisher would not allow. My publisher would kill me. I have no say. But um, <laughs> so we have to talk to the publisher. I will tell you what though, if you if your if your uh, listeners um, reach out to me on social media, I will sell them a very special signed edition for a thousand dollars. All right, there we go. Yeah. Hey man, you got to make money. Got it. All right, for your listeners, five hundred. Your <laughs> listeners, five hundred. <laughs> ah, that's the fifty percent yeah, off, exactly. and that's the ball is big guarantee. We... <laughs> I'm here for you. Okay, uh, Jeff. Uh, like we we do this as all the guests. We do this uh, as a sort of a, what is it? This or that kind of okay. question. We'll give you you know this or that, and you just say, all right. No, not much thinking. Okay, Vinita, are you ready with some questions or are you pretending to? Yeah, yeah, I have questions. questions. I have questions. Head? You have questions already. What a guy. Okay. okay, perfect. Okay, uh, Shaq or Kareem? Shaq. Kobe or Tim Duncan? Better career. Kobe. Oh! Nice. I think you said that just to, just to mess with me. Close. 
Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan? Oh. Who would you pick if you had like uh, one pick? Michael Jordan. Alright, if you had to if you had to play for one of the teams, would you play for the eighties Lakers or the two thousands Lakers? I think I'd play for the eighties Lakers because I yeah. feel like there'd be more parties to go to. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. That's all I have for me. Uh a three pointer contest, uh, you have to win. Who would you pick? Larry Bird or uh, Kevin Durant? Kevin of Durant. Larry Bird was the coldest killer of all time. Larry Bird, <laughs> who shows up at the three point contest and says, Which of you guys are gonna come in second? I mean, come on. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Bird. That's, uh, okay. And uh, now we have some India-specific questions for you. These are not like this or that. You have okay. to have an answer. How much do you know about India? Like, have you been here? Have you traveled to India? I've never yeah. been to India. Oh, you have, are you asking yeah. me India trivia questions? Yeah, just, just to, like... It's not like... Yeah. No, don't Google it. Don't Google it. I see, you, I see the Google opening up. Don't Google it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We're, we're not going to ask you what is our population. All right, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, um, yes. Uh, first question is, what is India's rank in the latest uh, FIBA rankings? Wait, India's. I won't look it up. The latest rank in the what? In the FIBA rankings, the Federation of International Basketball. Oh, that's easy. They're. Uh, did you get that? Did you hear that? Uh, uh, yes. a, it's uh, uh, no. I... <laughs> it's uh, India is. Uh... You can give me like a. You can give me like a forty to fifty, fifty to sixty, something of that. Yeah, size. I know where that's they are. Fine. I mean, I. India I can't is twenty third. Ah, so close. Like, just 50 apart. They are 76th, actually. That was close. Okay. <laughs> okay. How many Indians have played in the NBA? Like, uh, the NBA or the G League NBA? Like, both of them combined. Yeah, that's easy. Uh, two. Oh, do you know the names? Yeah, of course. Which are? Oh. Oh, no, I don't want to talk. About that. <laughs> I don't want to talk you just you just guessed a low enough number that would make sense. The thing is this: is you can't win, right? Because if I get it right, okay, that's great. If I get it wrong, and let's say I'm being serious about this, let's say I say someone who's Pakistani, or let's say someone, then I just look like a horrible. Oh. It's like I'm Jewish. If someone said I say name the Jews in the NBA, and you said someone, yeah, and then you're like, well, he looks Jewish, I'd be like, wait, what? So I'm just saying, there's no. Oh, that's true. That's true. All right. So, so your, your favorite Indian food. You know what's funny? We we actually eat a lot of Indian food here. Everybody in the U.S. does, though. It's, it's crazy. Don't say don't butter really... chicken. Don't say butter chicken. What's my favorite Indian food? I don't really like Indian food. My family orders it all the time, and I really eat it. Does that make me a bad person? And my brain is freezing right now. <laughs> but I don't want to look it up because you're just going to call me on it if I look up Indian foods. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to pass. Let's say what should be my favorite Indian food? Serious question. Oh, I, you man. know what? I'm just cooking Indian food real quick so I can remember what we order. I'm just looking at my local Indian place. I, I don't get mad. I, are you vegetarian? I am a vegetarian. Jeff. I'm not a vegetarian, but I don't eat. Yeah, I don't eat. Uh, I don't eat meat. Um, I, Fish. Yeah, I don't eat that much meat. I don't have a great answer. Uh, now I feel like an asshole. Are you waiting for me to answer the question? Yeah, and and the last question for you is who's your favorite Indian who is associated with the nba i don't know if you know know any shams is indian i know shams all right then there's now batia from the raptors okay and who's number there's one more ashwin so technically he is canadian but i'm just saying uh, uh the last one is uh, where is it okay it's your <laughs> you guys don't even question. know yes uh, I'm, vivek. I'm feeling hardly it's vivek, vivek, vivek no i i thought he would remember because i told him the question oh can I just say my favorite Indian food? Not kidding. Okay. It's a drink, though. I yeah, swear to God. Let's go to this Indian place. A mango lassie. Uh, <laughs> is that bad? It's great. It's, it's great. No, that's good. It's great. It's good. Especially in the summer, right. it's very good. We used right. to go to this place and they're the best mango lassie. So, yeah. So, it, uh, Shams, okay. <laughs> Shams, Navbatia, or Vivek? I'm going to go Shams just because, you know, he's in my business. All right. Cool. You know right. I, I wouldn't say we're buddies, buddy, but buddy, I, know, buddy. I know his work, and I guess I probably DM with him before. Well, maybe he's listening to this podcast now. You can be. My Why can't you guys be my favorite Indian basketball people? Oh, if you t- you should tweet that out. How about that? I will tweet that out. Who's your favorite <laughs> Jewish American writer? Uh, Jeff Pullman. Oh, that kills me. <laughs> no, sports. You said sports. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Pullman. All right, we have a mutual admiration society now. There you go, man. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for your time. Ashwin, do you want to wrap it up? 
Yes, uh, this is a wrap up. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Jeff, for coming on this show and promoting your book and talking about your book. I will definitely, as soon as it comes to Amazon.in, I will be placing an order for it and I will buy it for both of us because like both of us together have like one t-shirt for the pod. So both of us will have one of I will trade you. I'll send you a I'll make a deal with you right now. You get me a Ball is Bay t-shirt. Ooh. I send you a, bo- a book. Uh-huh. Hey, that's a good trade. I'll take it. Done. We will I'll uh, take it. Try, I'm offering that we'll deal. Try deal. to make that happen. Okay. Definitely. Ball is Bay t-shirt. Absolutely. Done. 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 Okay. Done. okay. Done. All right, man. Thanks Done. a lot. So, and, all right. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, listeners, please uh, like, share, subscribe to all that jazz. And uh, please check out the book. And uh, yeah, and I mean, you have a podcast too. So I mean, we, you can, you can yeah. plug that in. Yes, it's called uh, Ball is Bay, and it's uh, no, it's called uh, uh, Two Writers Sing and Yang. It's just two journalists talking about journalism and writing and such. Yeah, thank you. We need to say bye.